this is the word of the Lord for today. It's Psalm 103, 1 through 13 of David. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stay standing? I'm just kidding. Stand, sit, stand, sit, stand, sit. Well, I'm glad that uh, we've all made it here. When we start, uh, at, you know, about like 10.05, 10.10, it always seems like no one is going to be here this morning because as a couple of us contest, there's like four of us, and I was like, welcome to Neighbors. <laughs> And then like halfway through worship, we're like really in the swing of it. It's really beautiful. Um, again, my name is Shua. I'm worship pastor here. Uh, I'm really glad to just be giving us a brief recap of what we've been going over for the past couple of weeks. We're in our series, Gospel of John, as we've been since like the beginning of Neighbors. We've just been in the Gospel of John for like two years. It's beautiful and amazing. We're still in the Gospel of John right now with the focus on the cross and on atonement, and for the past couple of weeks, we'll focus on understanding a sin, a topic we just all love uh, to talk about so, so much. Um, but it's been really beautiful and eye-opening. We've had beautiful moments of, of prayer and, and intercession and, uh, and, and teaching and learning, having this dialogue with the Spirit that we talk about and trying to understand what it is. There, there is this sort of uh, distance between where we are and where it seems like we're supposed to be, right? How many of you have felt that? Like, okay, I'm here, but I feel like I'm supposed to be over there. And sometimes we might think that has to do with career. Sometimes we think it has to do with relationship. Sometimes we, have to, we think it has to do with like the church that we're at or the job that we're at. But what you'll find is no matter where you go, no matter what little thing you change in your life, no matter how many of us move to Texas in the next couple of months, <laughs> Everybody's moving uh, to, to Texas. The taxes, they're amazing here. Uh, you might find yourself still feeling that distance. And what we, we, we believe here is the distance that we feel between where we are and where we're meant to be is actually uh, sin. 
getting in the way of us being fully satisfied in Christ. And so Christ then comes to renew us, to change us, to transform us. And that's what we've been talking about. I'm going to get into the details here. But a quick story, quick story. Um, when, when, I was, when I was 14 years old, that's when I first started following Jesus. Before that point, I had, um, you know, I, I was young, so I, I can't even imagine going through any sort of real struggle when I was 14. But I did. I did. I, I suffered from a good amount of depression, some, some loneliness, uh, and, and I didn't know exactly what to do to get out of that funk that I was in. But, you know, my parents were like, go away for a week. We don't want to be around you. They didn't say that. My mom's in the back. She's like, no, no, that's not it. Uh, we, they, they sent us away to a camp for a week where we would sing songs and play games and, and maybe like meet Jesus on this mountaintop. And I was pretty, I didn't really think that would happen, but it ended up happening. And I went there and, and I, I, for the first time, when I was in that space, felt this incredible, overwhelming love, which led to a, a certainty of purpose and of presence. Like, I think I know why I'm here sort of transformation that happened in my heart when I was just like a, a teen boy, barely going through puberty. And, uh, and so there, there was, it was so beautiful. I came back down the mountain. I was levitating. Oh, I was like, faith. Uh, lots of beauty came with that. There is peace, reassurance, a, a brief interruption in my pervasive battle with depression. All good things. It also gave me this sort of confidence that I'd never had before. Like, I, I didn't, uh, you know, with the ladies, no. If God gave us <laughs> confidence with the ladies or the opposite sex, that would be cool. But no, that didn't happen, actually, at all. I was just more awkward. Jesus loves you, and me too. Oh. That's what it was uh, after that. Uh, no, it gave me a confidence that I'd never had before, a confidence that things were going to turn out right, like that I think this whole thing that I'm in is going to be okay. God's going to work everything out. It was as simple as that for me. I rode that passion and that zeal until it began to transform. So young, youthful, zeal, passion, Jesus is awesome, and I am too, almost thing that was going on, and it began to transform and, and crashed on the shores of reality. And the transformation was really subtle. It went from, from zeal to arrogance. Oh, zeal like Jesus loves me so much that I'm going to give my whole life over it, into I love Jesus so much that he, isn't he like so stoked to have me in his life? Uh, uh, from passion to pride. From passion like I love Jesus, and I, I just want to do whatever it is he's asking me to do into, I've got this. Like, I know that I can do this, and almost God being put on the back burner of the things that I was doing because I was just, like, riding my emotions into the heavens. As I rode that high, others' sin became more apparent to me than my own. I began to like fancy myself a commentator or even an expert on the faults of culture and of other people instead of myself. I was completely blind to my own sin, completely blind to my own faults because I was like, I'm good, Jesus loves me, his mercy is great, except for, for you. Like that's what 
I was experiencing in that time because I could see so clearly where everyone else was making mistakes. And I don't know if this was because I was 14. I don't know if it's because I was just a new believer, but I've seen it uh, in ages 11 to 111. Like this is something we all fall into if we're not careful and diligent. It was easy to do this in the age of information, of course, like where people's personal lives and world news was and still is shining to my face like four hours a day. And the outward focus completely blinded me to my own sin. It made my inner world opaque, like completely out of focus at best and completely dark at its worst. Of course, I didn't know that then. I can only see this in retrospect. I... I was on this high and then all of a sudden like the crash came. It's like when you give a five-year-old like a bunch of sugar and then they're just like, whoa, like that's what they do. You guys, can you do this with me? What? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do the, the, don't do the sound with me. But they're just up here and then it's a crash and it's a hard crash and they're sleeping. So, you know, some tips for you parents or coming up parents, you know. My son doesn't have sugar yet. He doesn't do that. He eats avocado. He's an avocado monster. He loves avocado, uh, but eventually we will give him Coke, the soda. Um, and and uh, we, we, that's not appropriate joke for church. This isn't going on the podcast. Um, we will give him a Sprite. Uh, how about that? Uh, we, we, you know, and he'll go crazy. But, but <laughs> I came crashing down hard. I thought that my uh, sadness was gone. I thought that my depression was over with. And then, because I was like, oh, Jesus got me. I'm not going to be depressed anymore. And then I, it came back. And I was so stunned. I was like, wait, but I, I said the prayer. Like, I said the prayer. And, and, then, and then I was finding out, like, left and right, that, like, some people were like, yeah, just, you know, through, through the grapevine, like, yeah, G Joshua, he's kind of, like, super prideful and, like, arrogant. I don't really like to hang out with him. And I was like, what, me? You don't like to hang out with me? What's going on? And I was so wounded by that. And I, I kept on running into these situations where I was finding my own faults. And I was kind of indignant about it for a while. And I became upset with God. Like, I thought you were supposed to make me good. I thought you were supposed to make me better, like almost perfect, like we're perfected in him. He's perfecting our faith. A lot of things that I did not understand. I was completely blind, and only in retrospect did I see my own sin. And so um, a, a couple of weeks ago, as we're in this series in sin, I was talking to Dan, and uh, we were talking about that. I was telling him all of these things, and I was like, so Dan, we're talking about sin, and but what about now? I feel pretty good right now. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more self-aware. I went to therapy. Like, you know, I, I think I see most of my faults, but... What if it's that I'm just missing it now? And we had someone say as much in, in our community, like, okay, if, if I don't even know the sins that I'm in sometimes because I'm so blind to it or I'm, or I'm you know, I, my humanity is just making it opaque, out of focus, how can I know that I'm not just messing up all the time every day? If I was so confident then and yet so blind, how can I be sure that my life is not brimming with ignorant sins now? We're in this series on the cross and atonement through the Gospel of John. We've been focusing on sin. 
And, and uh, it, is, it is something that is heavy. It is something that we, we can't necessarily be sure of. And, and we've been going through all these different uh, forms of sin, the way that sin manifests itself in our lives. A quick recap here. There's three different ways, and you'll have it on the screen there. Um, first thing, sin as a, a loss of vocation. We, we, uh, we are meant to be royal priests. Like if you go back to the book of Genesis, you got Adam and Eve, they're in a garden, and God says, tend to the garden, take care of it. And they're doing a good job, they're taking care of everything. It's almost like this sort of temple, this natural temple where their God is there, they're there, the plants are there, the animals are there, and they're just taking care of everyone. There's, it's almost like uh, how we do this in this space. We are here together taking care of one another. The presence of God is here, and we're called to do soul care for one another, like we're each like beautiful plants, but way better because we're human. And, and, and in that space, they forfeit that calling out of selfishness. I'm instead going to define a good and evil for myself, right and wrong for myself. They partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define this for myself and forfeit my vocation because I'm trying to gain power for myself. We often do this. We often forfeit our calling. Through sin, we decide I'm not going to tend to others. I'm not going to tend to what God is calling me to. I'm instead going to tend to not even myself, right? Because you want to take care of yourself. Like, you got to be good. It's not that, that that's the wrong thing. It's actually tending to your own selfish ambition and your vision of the world, what you think is right and wrong, defining it for yourself with your uh, vocation, with the way you look at politics, with your sexuality, like whatever it is, the way you define it becomes a sort of idol in your life, a sort of God of your own making, if not even making yourself a God. And you forfeit the vocation. The beauty, beautiful thing about the vocation is uh, if you don't forfeit it, God is with you and walking with you and doing the work with you and tending to the garden space with you. And then we wonder, having forfeited and having sinned, why we feel so alone. Then there's sin as a beast to be tamed. Like, let's talk about me at 14 years old. Let's talk about, like, the hormones that I was experiencing. <laughs> a beast to be tamed. So, you know, I was just, ah, just like everything, even in my state of, uh, of exactly Moses. That's my son yelling back there. Just let's talk about Moses back there. The things that he wants. He just wants what he wants. And we think that we mature out of that, but we often don't. We have these strong desires, and those desires aren't all bad. But what we often do is we twist them, and we deform them, and it becomes primary for us. These set of desires, uh, they override trusting that God actually has our highest satisfaction in mind our deepest happiness in mind. And so we go and we satisfy our selfish desires over and over and over again. What did I actually write right here? Okay, forfeiting our humanity. That's what we're doing. 
by giving in to every desire, by allowing our flesh and hunger for money, power, sex, moral superiority, independence, accolade, etc., to rule us and direct our decisions rather than the Spirit of God. And it's not like the Spirit of God doesn't want us to have like any of those things, but he doesn't want it ruling us. That's when we become less than human. And the last, a sin as an act of rebellion, attempting to play God, forfeiting our role as a loved creation, submitting to him, dependent on a father as sons and daughters, and we try to take fate into our own hand, or even the fate of others, oppressing others underfoot with our willpower. So how do we, how do we get out of this? And, and this is something we're going to keep on coming back to. This is not uh, the teaching on grace. This is just a, a short recap. But we'll come back to this theme over and over and over again. How is it, if you can't see these things, if you don't know these things, if you're ignorant of these things, that you can, like, get away from them? Now, one, how many of you are, are married? How many of you are married? One, you could just ask your spouse what it is that, <laughs> hey, where am I? Yeah, they'll tell you. They know. They, they actually can see you a little bit more clearly. But even that, it's hard, you, you know, because well, that's what, where arguments happen. This is why we have conflict with people. How many of you are single and have close friends? This is actually the job of a close friend as well. They can see your faults. If you don't got a friend that can, like, jam you up a bit, I don't know if you have a good friend I can be a good friend. I, I could do it. Um, I could see your faults clearly. Um, no, I'm just, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. Lord, forgive me. This is why other people are in our lives there to, to, to love us and care for us. But, but even then, this is why we have conflict with others. Someone tells us something that might, might, maybe be true of us. And we're like, no, I do not accept that as reality. If you, it's, it's like when, have you ever caught someone that's lying in a lie and then they just double down? They're just, no. They're, and you're like, okay, come on. This is blatantly obvious, but they just double down on the lie like this is truth. This is what we often do. We do it in small ways that seem insignificant, but they become the things that grow over time and begin to rule us. So how do we escape this? The answer in that conversation that I had with Dan, and we were just kind of talking back and forth, you know, he's kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, you're supposed to be like, you know, master of divinity, tell me. Uh, and, and, and he said, I think that this is where we learn to trust God with our sin. This is where we learn the things that we either do see or can't see or the things we see, but we're like, I don't even know what to do. This thing has really got a hold on me to trust God with our sin. Our tendency is to want to hide our sin away from others and especially away from God. I just won't bring that up. You come to the table, you come to communion, you're like, God, I forgive me for like, I don't know, getting angry while I was driving the other day, but also like, you completely like disrespected a friend or a spouse and you're like, but not that. Like, just let's forget about that thing and let's go with something a little softer, a soft sin is what, is what we'll call that. We'll bring the soft sin to the table and leave the other things back over here. But we must trust God. This is a scripture that we read earlier. 
This is what God is revealing about himself. And forgive me, because I'm going to use my phone, because I didn't write my notes on the iPad, because I forgot it at home. I hate opening up my phone uh, like this. But this is what God is saying about himself. And if we trust that God is actually true with what he's saying about himself, we'll be able to trust him with our sins, with the deepest, darkest parts of ourselves that he is transforming. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. This is echoing Exodus 34, where God first reveals his character to Moses and says, this is who I am. Before this point, before Exodus 34, like he doesn't really say much about himself at all. He's just like, go here, do this, do that. I'll do this for you. And then Moses gets up on the mountain with him, and Moses basically says, show me your glory. And he's like, if I show you my face, it'll melt. Uh, yours will melt. And so, and, and, and so he's like, I'll show you my back, though. And so he turns, turns back, and God kind of does it. I imagine that God does like the shimmy uh, past Moses. Uh, he was probably levitating or something. But, but he does this, and as he passes by, yeah, I know, I'm dumb. Okay, people are shaking their heads at me, like, what's wrong with this guy? Um, Coca-Cola, that's what, I had one before. Um, uh, sponsored. <laughs> yes, I'm stopping now. My brother's telling me to stop from over there. He says of himself as he passes by Moses, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, forgiving sins for thousands. Yet he will not let the guilty go unpunished. He will visit the sins of the father on the son and daughter to the third and fourth generation, which is a word picture. You're like, oh man, well, why does it end like that? That's kind of dark. It's a word picture. He'll forgive sins for thousands, this scale. And he'll visit sin to the But he does come to bring justice, and that's a good thing. We want justice. We've either been wronged or we've wronged others, and there needs to be justice. And so he'll come and bring that, but by and large, we find that he is merciful. This psalm that we read is echoing that, and you'll see it's the most quoted thing throughout Scripture. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. So can you trust, as he says about himself, that your sins, as you bring them, he literally just doesn't treat you according to your sins? And we have a completely backwards like view on the mercy of God. We're like, okay, Jesus... Jesus died for me, and like God, he like took the punch from God for me so that I wouldn't have to do this, but like I'm still a mess, and I'm going to hide. You still want to hide those things, but it literally says here, before even Jesus even came, like David is writing this. He says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Even in this moment. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. He's not, God is actually not an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth with us. He says, yeah, that might happen in your life there down there on the world where you guys kind of trade blows with each other, but we are not trading blows with God. We might strike him. We might rebel against him. He might offer us a gift and we might hit it out of his hands. 
like my son often does with me. <laughs> but, but he does not repay us according to our sins. As a father has compassion on his children, so he has compassion on us. So this morning, we're going to go into some prayer movements. And, and Alexis is going to lead us through the pastor. Alexis is going to lead us through the prayer movements. And the whole goal as we pray, and we're going to pray through some different things, will be to trust God with these areas of our lives that we don't necessarily have control over. This is actually a part of the partnership towards holiness, towards holiness with God. We're not completely passive in ridding ourselves of sin. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like there, is, there are things that we should do. But we should do it from a place of love, knowing that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Wouldn't that cause your heart to overflow with love? How gracious have you been? How merciful have you, have you been? And this leads us into uh, praise, into worshiping him. So just maybe close your eyes for a minute. And take a deep breath. If it's not too scary, just try to find that place in your heart, in your life, where you've possibly been afraid to trust God, where you haven't been merciful on yourself even, where you haven't given yourself grace, and see his forgiveness. We're going to come to the table at the end of our prayer movements, and this is a good place to take this thing that you find as you close your eyes and, and, and bring it to the table. Bring it to the feet of Jesus. Just take 10 seconds here. And just pray that prayer.